Welcome to Law Technology Now with attorney Monica Bay, editor-in-chief of ALM's award-winning Law Technology News Magazine and website. Here's the latest hot topic in the intersection of law and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hi, I'm Monica Bay, editor-in-chief of Law Technology News. Welcome to Law Technology Now. This is our May edition. And we have some terrific guests today, and it's a very kind of hot off the press type of a topic. We're going to talk about recent proposed rule changes to the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, which some of our authors are suggesting may be that we may be on the cusp of the most important reforms since the 2006 amendments. My guests today are Henry Kelston and Mark Michaels, and I'm going to turn to Henry first to tell us a little bit about himself and then to Mark. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, uh, my name is Henry Kelston. I am senior counsel at Milberg LLP in New York. I'm very active in uh, the e-discovery world, a member of the Sedona Working Group Committee on e-discovery, and uh, write and speak often on the subject. And I have been uh, fortunate enough to attend uh, the last several meetings of the Advisory Committee on Civil Rules, and and, uh, that's what we'll get to talking about in a little bit. And Mark. Hi, uh, my name is Mark Michaels. I am presently a director um, in Deloitte's discovery practice. Prior to joining Deloitte, I was with the Fortune 500 networking company and managed their e-discovery and and was part of the litigation management team. And discovery has been part and parcel of my professional life for the last 10 years at least. And we are very lucky at LTN because both Henry and Mark are frequent contributors, which I'm very, very happy about, and have both been following the development of these rules. Um, Mark, I'm going to start with you, if I may. Would you give our listeners, please, a quick uh, overview of what this process is in the federal courts and um, what stage we're at right now? Sure. Well, let me start with the, the last question. Uh, The reason this is so timely, and Henry will talk about this some more as well, is we expect that these rules we're going to speak about today will be published for public comment um, in August. Um, So how did we get here? Well, this process started as late as uh, as, uh, 2010 when a a group of the rule makers got together at, at Duke University and started brainstorming uh, issues to Im- improve uh, litigation and civil litigation in the United States. Subsequent to that, there were other conferences, such as a mini conference in Dallas in, in, in 2012. And what emerged were two sets of rules making their way through the rulemaking process, one dealing specifically with spoliation and Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 37, and another group of other rules uh, that we will talk about in more detail later that are so-called the Duke package. So these two packages have moved their way through the, the rulemaking process. Uh, and as of last week, the advisory committee uh, met in, uh, in Norman, Oklahoma, and they are going to take that package forward uh, and move it to what is called the standing committee in 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 June, and if things proceed as we expect, then these these rules will be 
published for public comment in in August. And I believe the closing period will be December or or January. Typically, um, how long, Mark, does it take from this process to adoption? And for those for those listeners who might not be familiar with it, who exactly is the folks who put the final seal on it and say, yes, we're going to do this? Well, thank you. So uh, I don't know if there is a quote unquote typical process. I will tell you that if if things proceed according to the fastest schedule possible, the rules will become effective on December 1st, 2015. And that would be light speed if we stay on that schedule. What will happen is after the public uh, comment period, the so-called advisory committee will take and digest those comments. Uh, if they adjust the rules, which they likely will, then it will go to the standing committee. If the standing committee approves that, then the Judicial Conference of the United States will approve it. Ultimately, the Supreme Court, Congress gets a veto. And if all of that happens like lightning speed, December 1st, 2015, we'll have a new rule package. Terrific. And Henry, you wrote a wonderful article for Law Technology News about the the uh, particular proposals that have moved forward in these early stages. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the key proposals are and why they're important? Uh, sure. Um, it, it's perhaps easiest to, to talk about the proposals in, in sort of three groupings. Um, one has to do with the uh, timing of uh, actions and the scope of discovery and numerical limits on discovery. Those are, uh, you know, what are commonly referred to as sort of the Duke package. Um, the the timing issues have to do with the reduction in, in the time allowed for service after a complaint is filed and then a reduction in the time for the court to issue a scheduling order. Um, th- those are uh, of, of some concern to, to certain kinds of parties, particularly the government, but it's not uh, sort of where the focus of the, where the heat really is. Um, then we get to the scope of discovery and uh, what the proposals seek to do is uh, basically remove from the court the option of expanding the scope of discovery from uh, information relevant to the claims and issues in, in the case the, uh, where the court now has the option to expand that to um, information relevant to the case. Um, the numerical limits, uh, as I described in the article, are all uh, proposals to reduce uh, the, the current, uh, some of the current limits uh, in the rules, and that is to reduce the number of the presumptive number of depositions. Uh, from 10 to 5, uh, the number of written interrogatories permitted would be reduced from 25 to 15, and for the first time, a limit would be imposed on the number of requests for admissions a party can serve, uh, and the proposed maximum is 25 requests. That's not including requests related to the genuine, genuineness of documents. And of course, at, you know, as under the current rules, in, in, in any case, uh, the numerical limits can be increased by stipulation or by court order. Uh, there are proposed changes to Rule 34 uh, relating to the kinds of objections that are often made to requests to produce, and basically uh, the proposals would require a party 
uh, to state the objections with specificity and also state whether they are, in fact, withholding any documents on the basis of the objections. Um, also, if a party says they'll produce documents as opposed to allowing inspection, they'd be required to put in a date um, for production as opposed to what happens now, which is uh, the response usually says, we'll produce documents sometime, uh, but not, not, not uh, with a specific date. Um, rule, the, the amendments to Rule 37, which have to do with sanctions for uh, the failure to preserve relevant information, is really um, where most of the controversy, controversy is generated. Um, and basically what the, what the committee is trying to do is unify the rules on a national basis uh, whereas now there is some disagreement among the circuits um, in, the, in the common law about what level of, um, so what kind of showing is required to support a court's imposition of what we refer to as serious sanctions, case, case determinative sanctions, where uh, issue preclusion, evidence preclusion, and uh, adverse inference or dismissal and possibly an adverse inference instructions. Uh, and so they're uh, instituting a regime where those kinds of sanctions could only be imposed where there is a showing that the, um, that the conduct causing the loss of information has been willful or in bad faith and has caused substantial prejudice in the litigation or alternatively is showing that the loss of information has effectively precluded a party from uh, making its case at all. Um, and, and that's based on a situation like the Silvestri case where uh, had to do with an airbag in a car and, and, and the, the airbag evidence was destroyed before uh, the opposing party had a chance to inspect it and have it tested, and that really destroyed any possibility they had of litigating their case. So uh, where that kind of thing happens, um, either less of a showing of fault or no showing of fault would be required. That's the basic outline. Henry, thank you so much for that summation. And uh, we're going to take a quick moment for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be back to wrap it up and talk about what happens next. And I want to know how fluid this whole process is going to be. So we'll see you in just a few moments. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just send us an email at advertising at legaltalknetwork.com. And we're back. Henry Kelston and Mark Michaels. 
Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about now that we know what the actual issues are at play, what happens next? Well, thank you, Monica. So the uh, the next step in the, the, the process will be uh, a meeting with the advisory committee. And assuming, in fact, that they move forward, then we'll have a period of public comment that will will start in uh, in August. I've had the privilege of speaking with Judge Paul Grimm in Maryland, who has been uh, leading the effort on the on the the spoliation provisions, and he very much is looking forward to and expecting what he calls a robust public dialogue on this issue. Um, as Henry indicated, the the Duke package, uh, while uh, not as controversial among the the uh, the rule makers is going to generate, I think, a considerable amount of uh, of commentary from the uh, from the bar. The real action is going to be on the spoliation provisions with Rule 37E. Um, as I understand it, Henry, there was a considerable amount of discussion and back and forth in the uh, in the in the discussions and uh, with the advisory committee. And uh, what I understand will happen then is that there will be a specific set of questions that the committee will pose to the public. So in addition to asking for just general feedback, they will ask for specific feedback on, among other things, the the, the spoliation rules to see if they can uh, get a consensus uh, with that feedback. So in that process, in addition to the public comments that will be submitted, uh, I understand there will be opportunities for public to appear uh, in Washington, D.C. on November 8th. Probably two other uh, uh, conferences where people may come, probably one in late November in Dallas and possibly one in in San Francisco where the the public can uh, raise these issues. And then things stay on schedule. The comment period closes in January and uh, the advisory committee and the standing committees will be back to work again. Well, I have a question for both of you on this because I've now been following this uh, since the last set, which was, I think, the first set of real changes in 2006. And I've noticed that there does seem to be a split on a lot of these rulings, which is not going to surprise anybody, between the plaintiff's bar and the defense bar to a degree. Are there any particular hot points that you two would predict will be, other than the ones you just uh, mentioned, Mark, that might be a little fiery? I I know that Bob Owens has written some um, of more defense-oriented arguments, uh, uh, particularly on the question of of at what point the the Shira Shinlin question of at what point do you reasonably anticipate litigation? Are there going to be any any hot points like that coming up? Uh, yes, a lot of <laughs> many. Um, <laughs> I mean, there, there's no question that 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 the uh, that that these proposals uh, individually and as a package are are largely designed to cut back on the amount of discovery. Uh, the scope of discovery is reduced in certain circumstances. The numerical limits are reduced, and greater showings of uh, culpable uh, behavior or intent are required in order to impose severe sanctions. So, yes, in general, uh, the plaintiff's bar is is going to oppose um, 
a lot of these uh, proposals because it, it it limits the access to information uh, and is in 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 the view of many plaintiffs' attorneys as part of a continuing campaign, a continuing process, really of eroding uh, people's access to the courts. And of course, we all hear a lot about probably the buzzword of the last two years has been proportionality and very grave concerns about the costs of e-discovery getting so incredibly bloated that oftentimes they quickly out, outpace the, the the expected exposure in the case itself. So I, I suspect everybody understands that there are definitely two sides to each story. Um, um, would you agree with that, Mark? Um, I would agree that when you're dealing with lawyers, there's at least two sides to every story. Uh, <laughs> Good point. Uh, from the defense bar, uh, the I, I think one of the things that we should expect to hear is a continued push for a bright line preservation rule. And and the, the costs that uh, corporations face uh, with over-preservation has been an issue that's been in the, the forefront of this discussion. Um, unfortunately, from the position of the, the, the view of the defense bar, that issue is not in these rules. And I would expect to see the defense bar weigh in pretty heavily on a on a on a bright line preservation trigger. I would just bri- briefly say that that um, that that the committee spent a tremendous amount of the the advisory committee spent a tremendous amount of time uh, trying to draft a rule that would provide uh, greater guidance in in that on that issue and and essentially concluded that it simply was not possible to to craft a rule that would cover um, all of the myriad, myriad situations in anticipation of litigation. So uh, there was an effort, but it did not succeed. Well, I'm looking forward to hopefully many more articles from both of you, as well as um, our audience. If you are interested in writing about this topic, if you have strong opinions, I hope you will email me at mbay, M-B-A-Y, at ALM.com. We've run out of time. Before we we hang up, I want uh, Henry and Mark, please tell our listeners how they can reach out to you if they would like to contact you. Henry? My email address is hkelston, H-K-E-L-S-T-O-N, at milberg.com. And Mark? It's Mark Michaels, and my email is M-M-I-C-H-E-L-S, no A, M-M-I-C-H-E-L-S, at deloitte.com. Well, I thank you so warmly for being on this program, and we, of course, have just touched the proverbial tip of the iceberg. Um, As always, I want to remind everyone that there are three ways you can find our broadcast. You can reach us at www.legaltalknetwork.com, at ALM's site, which is www.lawtechnologynow.com. And because we are so cool, we are on iTunes. Uh, Shout outs in New York to my wonderful senior producer, Charles Garner, to Denver, For our producers, James Palmer and Amy Thompson and CEO Adam Kamras. And here in in New York again, my boss, the wonderful David Brown, who is vice president and editor-in-chief of LTN. I'm Monica Bay. We will see you on the next edition of Law Technology Now. And as always, I remind you that there is no crying in technology or baseball. See you next month.
Thanks for listening to Law Technology Now, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Monica Bay for our next podcast covering the technology issues affecting the legal profession. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.